Our scripture reading today is Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Paul's going to be pointing us to Abraham, mainly, and he's going to throw a little David in on the side for us, but we are going to pick back up uh, the text that we were looking at last week and uh, finish off looking at these uh, words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Last week I began asking three questions based on the text before us. And I only got to the first one, which was, In whom do you boast? I'm going to briefly address this first question again, and then move to the other two questions, which are, In whom do you believe and... In whom are you blessed? Three B's should be easy to remember. Now the answer to all three of these questions is, of course, Jesus Christ. In whom do you boast? Jesus Christ. In whom do you believe? Jesus Christ. In whom are you blessed? Jesus Christ. Now we might answer Jesus to each of these questions, however... Many times, because of our unbelief, our actions do not demonstrate that our answer, our verbal answer, is actually correct, actually what we do believe. In other words, we might have the right theology, but the wrong practice. We say we believe one thing, but our actions show that we believe something completely different. Whom do we boast? In whom do we believe? In whom are we blessed? Yes, we might say the good Sunday school question, in Jesus Christ, of course. But our lives, our actions, who we're actually boasting in, believing in, and finding our blessedness is something else, or we act like it's in something else. And that is a temptation for all of us. We all struggle with that. I struggle with that. We struggle with unbelief and believing the gospel, the good news of Christ. That's why it's important to hear it week to week, every day, uh, to preach the gospel to yourself when you're at home and to hear it proclaimed from the pulpit on a weekly basis because we tend to forget it. it it's not intuitive to us. So today, let's look at these questions. Now, last week, I asked the question, first of all, in whom do you boast? Now, a synonym for boasting is bragging, of course. You might brag about winning a beauty contest or making the honor roll or being a star on a championship team 
Or, or maybe you brag about the accomplishments of your children or the accomplishments of your spouse. We all understanding what bragging or boasting is. Uh, we regularly engage in it, and sometimes we're justified to, uh, to brag a little bit and to boast about, especially if it's someone else and not ourselves. Now, if I'm bragging about myself, it's because I want you to... Uh, to be interested in me. I want you to esteem me and admire me. I, I want you to think that I'm great. The fact of the matter is I'm self-interested. I put myself forward for your approval and acceptance. And, you know, if I go on and say something like, you know, I was an all-conference high jumper in college. And if I say that twice, you know, if I was twice in all conference, I'm just trying to get you to admire me, to think, wow, that was great, isn't he super, or was, back in the glory days. Well, I think I'm great, and I want you to think so as well. That's why I brag, or I boast, or if I brag about my children's accomplishments, it's because I want you to admire or esteem them and think they're great. Now, some people believe that when they stand before God, they're going to present their resume to the Lord, their good deeds, all the morality in which they've engaged, and he will be obligated to esteem them, admire them, think they're great, and welcome them into heaven. However, the truth that Paul has been hammering home to us from chapter 1, verse 18 forward, is that when we stand before God, we have absolutely nothing of our own to boast about that would make God admire or esteem us. Romans 3.10, we just back up a chapter. None is righteous. No, not one. Verse 19. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Nothing to say, nothing to offer, no resume to present, not a list of good deeds. Kind of like uh, in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, where the person says, Lord, didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all this? Didn't we do that? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Every mouth stopped, held accountable to God, why? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law only shows us how we have failed to, to live up to God's standards. So, no one can brag or boast before God. Not even Abraham himself. The father of the three largest major world religions. No, he was a sinner just like the rest of us. And Paul tells us that his righteousness came not through his works, but through his faith. The only acceptable boast is in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. If anyone, you, me, or anyone else in the world would have standing before God, our boast, what we brag about for, before God, must be Jesus Christ and his accomplishments for us. Not what we've done, but what he's done for us. So in whom do you boast? 
The answer must be in Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one can boast before God. In Paul's own testimony, he shares in Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast... And this is Paul we're talking about here. You know, the first missionary, planted many churches, one of the apostles. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing the hymn sometimes. We haven't sung it in a long time, but if you've ever been to a Billy Graham crusade, you've heard it sung. Uh, The last song he always uses for his altar calls, Just As I Am. The words are excellent. Just As I Am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. My only plea, my only argument, the only thing I bring to you was that Jesus Christ died for me and that you have bids me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. So our boast must be in Christ alone. He is our only plea. It's not our works, not anything that we've done, not our pedigree. Paul backs up this claim that even Abraham had nothing to boast about before God by going to the Scriptures. First, he goes to <clears throat> Genesis 15:6 and the example of Abraham, then to the Psalms and the example of David, Psalm 32 specifically. Well, let us look at the second question. In whom do you believe? We hear this word believe a couple of times along with the word faith. Now, one should not, not ask the question, what what are you doing to earn salvation? Or what am I doing to earn salvation? The relevant question is, in whom do you believe? That's the most important question. Now, another extremely important word in this section is the Greek term that is translated counted or credited. Uh, In other translations, reckoned or imputed, if you're a King James person. Eleven times that same word is used in chapter 4. Paul is saying that Abraham did not get credited or counted righteous, credited with being righteous because he worked for it. No, he was credited with righteousness by believing God. Now, if it was credited because of his works because of all the good things that he had done, then it would not be a gift. It would not be by grace. He would have earned it. He would have a right to it. God would be obligated to declare him righteous because he had earned that status. Just think of it like you think of uh, your wages, your paycheck. Your wages are something for which you have worked. Money gets credited to your account. When you cash your check or you have automatic deposit, you get that into your account. It's yours. You have a right to it. The employer is obliged to pay it to you. You have worked and earned it. This is not how the gospel works, as verse 4 and 5 point out. Look at the quote that's on the front of your bulletin from John Stott's commentary on Romans. He explains it this way. In the context of business, Those who work have their wages credited to them as a right, a debt, an obligation, for they have earned them. 
In the context of justification, however, to those who do not work and therefore have no right to payment, but who instead put their trust in God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. That is, they are given righteousness as a free and unearned gift of grace by faith. Now let's think about Abraham for a moment. What exactly did he believe? Christ, of course, hasn't, uh, hasn't been born yet when Abraham was around. That was hundreds and hundreds of centuries before Christ existed. So what is it that, that Abraham was believing? John Stott goes on to say, What God said to Abraham was not, Obey this law and I will bless you, but rather, I will bless you, believe my promise. Listen to that again. He says, What God said to Abraham was not, Obey this law and I will bless you, but rather, I will bless you, believe my promise. Now look at Genesis 15, if you will, um, or listen to me read it to you, just a few verses where, where we see the context of this quote that Paul puts before us. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1, says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That's, that was the law back then. If you didn't have a male heir, then the, a, a, a servant that was in your household who uh, you esteemed would be declared the heir. And the, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, God initially made promises, these same promises, to Abram back in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord uh, appeared to Abram and said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in whom, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, at this point in Abraham's life, he was an old man. He was incapable of doing anything to bring these promises to fruition. He had to completely rely upon the Lord to do it, to make it happen, for these promises to be fulfilled. But one only has to look in Genesis 16 to see Abram trying to make it happen himself, and we have the whole debacle with Hagar and Ishmael. No, not one of us, including Abraham, can make God's promises come true. And God has promised salvation to those who would put their trust in him. We must put our trust completely in the Lord to save us. Our efforts, just like Abraham's efforts to, to make an heir for himself, were useless. 
Our efforts are useless to pay for our sins and accumulate enough righteousness to make God obligated to save us. Just like Abraham's situation, it's humanly impossible to get God to be obligated to save us. We must rest our whole future, our whole salvation entirely upon his promise, entirely upon his provision in Christ. Believing in your own works, your own efforts to save yourself is foolish. Think of it this way. Uh, suppose you owed God a billion dollars and all you have to do to get into heaven is to pay that debt off. And so you confidently go up to the gates of heaven with your wallet and you begin dumping it out. Here are all the good works, the money that I'm going to use to pay off the debt. And, and they take the money and they add it up and it's $17.38. You're well short of a billion dollars. You're not going to get there. Well, relying upon your own works is even more foolish, more foolhardy. To think that our meager morality is enough to appease God who is holy and perfectly righteous. Our works are minuscule because we, yes, we can do good things, but we constantly sin. We constantly fall short. That's what Paul's been saying. No, you must put your trust entirely upon the Lord to save you. And the good news is that he himself has already done everything that is necessary to save you by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ has done everything to earn salvation for sinful people such as you and me. Now, what has he done specifically? That brings us to the third question. In whom are you blessed? If you look at uh, verse 7 and 8, it speaks there of being blessed, where it quotes uh, from David, Psalm, Psalm 32. Here's the question. How can sinners be blessed by God when all that we have earned is his wrath? It's the question that's addressed in chapter 3, verse 26. How can God be just and the justifier of the ungodly? He says that in verse 5 of chapter 4. To the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. How can God justify God who is just, who is always fair, always right, always referees the game fairly. You know, we watch a lot of sports, especially this time of year with basketball and soccer gets played a lot of our, at our... And the referees get a lot of criticism because sometimes things don't work out fairly. They don't see everything. They, they're not om, omniscient. They're not omnipotent. God does see everything. Perfectly, He always knows the exact truth. He knows everything that we've done. He knows everything that we think. He knows the attitudes and motivations of our hearts. He knows it all. So how can he justify us? He cannot, fairly. But here it talks about that he is just and the justifier of the ungodly. And that's good news for us because we are the ungodly. 
God has provided a way that he can be just and right and fair and justify the ungodly. You see, he loves us. He wants to justify ungodly sinners. He wants to justify his people. But he can't just simply forget your sin or sweep it under the rug. He has to do something about it, and he himself did. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, came to earth, and he bore our sin. Look at verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. See, he doesn't just forget it. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. No, he forgives it. He covers it. The word forgive in the Hebrew of Psalm 32 literally means to bear or to carry. Christ has borne our sins. And he, he, Paul has explained this in chapter 3, verse 23. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So Jesus bore or carried our sins on the cross and God's wrath is propitiated. He can be just now and justify the ungodly, justifies those who put their faith, their trust, their, their resting in Christ's work and what he's done. And there's the two sides of it represented here in this text, what Christ has done for us. Not only has he wiped our slate clean, he has paid for our sins, forgiven us, but he has fulfilled all righteousness for us. So, yes, we are washed and cleansed, but... Our accounts are filled with his righteousness. We are credited with righteousness. It's not just a zero sum that we're back to. You know, we were in debt, say a billion dollars. It's not just that Christ paid the billion dollar debt off. He's paid the billion dollar debt off and then put a billion dollars in our account. He has not only forgiven us all of our sins, he has declared us righteous with his own righteousness. That has been credited to us. So when we come to God, we don't say, here's my resume, God. Here's what a great person I am, and you should accept me into heaven. No, we say, I deserve your full wrath, but I put my trust in Christ who died for me, just as the song says. My only plea is Christ, that he died for me, and he has invited me to come to him, and I come to him. So in whom are you blessed? It's not your own doing. It's not your own works. You can't earn the blessing of forgiveness and redemption. It's an impossible task for any human being. But in Christ, it is earned for you. It's a gift. It is by grace. It is to be received by faith, just like Abraham. He believed God. He said, okay, God, I can't do it. I, I can't make a child. I'm too old. And Sarah is barren. And she's old, too. It's going to have to be all you. Lord, we are sinners. We cannot be accepted by you, but in Christ we can. Through the provision that you have made, we can. And we put our faith that you fulfilled those promises. Abraham could not secure all the blessings promised to him by his own efforts. He had to re re rely entirely upon the Lord to grant them to him. So do we. So, where is your boast, your belief, 
and your blessing. If it's not in Christ, there is no salvation. But the promise is, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray together.